So every six months, I'll go to NCCS. And every time when I go there, I see people who are worse. Eh. Yeah. I, I didn't know what it means at that point in time, but I think it, it, it gives me a sense of gratefulness. Eh, in the sense that I'm just going there for a test. But people are going there with no hair, going through chemo. And uh, there was one time when I went through a CT scan, eh, there were two old people. Me wearing this blue gown ready for a CT scan, and there was these two old people. Then after that, one of the old men started chatting. Hey everybody, welcome to Live Your Legacy. The goal of our show is to help you live your own legacy by connecting you to people and concepts that have made a tremendous impact on the lives of others. Today's legacy guest is a three-time cancer survivor and a seasoned value investor. He has been featured on over 30 media platforms like Channel News Asia and Straits Times. But he is more known for losing cash trading in the stock market for the first 8 years which got him into $50,000 in debt. And then he spent the next 15 years of his life dedicated to value investing and building a multi-million dollar investment portfolio. He is the founder of Pinekinesis Investment, which aims to educate others to become a better investor, which allowed him to train over 50,000 people in 11 countries just on value investing. And he did all of this while sharing the same stage as Sir Richard Branson, Robert Kiyosaki, and many more. He donates part of his company's profits to set up a fund to help financially challenged students to attend university. Additionally, he has published four books, including his latest, Value Investing Simplified, all with the intention and aim to donate these profits to help the financially challenged students and cancer research associations. So please help me in welcoming this extremely generous value investor, speaker, and trainer, Kaden Chang. Okay, hi guys. Today's legacy guest is Kaden Chang. So, uh, <laughs> welcome to the show. Yeah, it's okay. okay. Something really interesting when I was researching up on him was the fact that I found out this story where you yeah. said that you, uh, when you when you were born, right? You were five. There were five people in a one single bedroom apartment, yeah. and you were so financially challenged that your mom actually wanted to sell you in yeah, exchange yeah. for food. Yeah, right? for and food, you yeah. were it was that bad until you couldn't afford like a hamburger, even if it was a special occasion. Yeah. So just just want you to walk. Uh, walk me through right how did you go from that type of situation to where you are now building a multi-million dollar portfolio it's <laughs> a very long question okay um yeah uh, just now what you're saying is correct as in i i was really born in a very poor family my whole family stays in a one bedroom hdb flat and right now the interesting thing is the apartment is still there is a uh, block 44 bill crescent somewhere near tomorrow mrt yeah very interesting and the house is really small so my father worked as a fishmonger, my mom as a full-time maker. I mean, in the early days, it, our lives is really quite simple. But because when I was young, I, I don't understand this word poor because I was born uh, like that, you know, including my brothers. Um, so my mom specifically, she always said that, you know, we, we, we need to study very hard, go to the university. And then of course she will compare during her era, you know, I don't even have a chance to go to school. So f uh, to her, going to school, is the important key to success. Yeah, but of course, in making reference to her era, I, I think what she says is correct. Yeah, but unfortunately, I, I'm not the very smart type. I'm not the academic type. So I went through PSLE like most of the Singaporeans, uh, O-level. My O-level is just average. Uh. Yeah, so eventually I got into ACJC. 
ACJC because my result wasn't that good and wasn't that bad, somewhere in between. So I went to ACJC and ACJC was the closest to my place uh, during that time. Yeah. So when I went to Anglo Chinese Junior College, uh, I didn't know that the culture was very Angmore. Yeah, I'm quite China, you see. So I speak Mandarin, I cannot speak English very well. So when I went over there, it took me about six months to realize that I uh, I'm appear to be different. Uh. Like the rest, the almost one, the rich people, uh, ACJC being ACJC, uh, rich people. So I felt uh, like I'm being ostracized. Uh. So I think the after the first six months, I felt something wasn't right. Uh. Yeah, emotionally. Then after that, I got into bad companies, uh, unfortunately. Yeah, I hang out with people who don't study, we skip school. Whenever there's school, we can play bowling. And uh, an interesting thing is the people, the so-called inverted commas, the bad people I hang out with are the rich people. Yeah, so if they don't do well, I mean their parents can send overseas. So I, how should I say, uh, it's quite sad that I try to like pretend to be like them, but, but I'm poor. Lah. Yeah, yeah, eventually. So I, when A-level came, I took my first A-level, I didn't do very well. Yeah, I think I failed my first A-level exam. Then I was thinking what to do. So I went back to ACJC, I uh, asked for a second chance uh, to, to be a repeat student. But during that time, uh, there was this ranking structure, right? Yeah, ranking structure. I mean, if I go back, I probably pull the rank down. Yeah. So eventually, guys, right, we go and serve uh, two and a half years. During my time, it was two and a half years at NS. So I went to serve NS. Yeah, but my mom has always wanted, uh, out of the four kids, uh, one of them go to a university. I mean, that's the biggest dream. I, I didn't know how important it was. I know it was important to her, but I, I didn't really understand how important was it to her. So eventually, when I was in NS, right, I took A-level as a private candidate. And because my subject was science, uh, well, it was very difficult to try to do experiment. It's, it's almost impossible. So that was the first time that I really used uh, pure imagination. Yeah, but after the second time as a private candidate, I didn't do very well. And then I took my A-level at the time. So when I took twice as a private candidate, actually the MOE sent me to a high school. So during the time high school, they are having their own school exams. Yeah, and then private candidate is one row. Yeah, first time I went to the hall, I felt, I felt like a loser. You know? Yeah, because the hall was very big, it was like for those uh, badminton and all that. So they set two rows uh, for the repeat students. And at the time I was foolish, uh, I was serving NS, I took half a day off. Then I wear uniform. Uh. So I wear uniform, work in a school compound, and then the high school student, whoa, like loser like that. Yeah. So eventually I went to my own seat, uh, I just tuck my head and then do my stuff. Uh. Of course I didn't know that uh, after the second time I didn't, I didn't do very well, I went back to the third time. So they sent me to the same school. <laughs> so this whole story repeat again. But, but I know eventually I most likely I'll be able to make it, lah, even if it's fourth time or fifth time. So after I took my A-level, uh, my result also not that fantastic. I think it's slightly above average. So I got a seat in the science faculty. Yeah. After I got in the science faculty, my mom said she got no money. She said congratulations, but no money. Uh, I know she, she exhausts all means. Right? So what I did was I delayed one year. So my friends would have entered a proper year, but mine, mine is one year. So I went to Trois work as a lab tech. A lab technician yeah so it was a three shift job i think the blessing was the three shift job uh, gave me some savings uh, because it's a shift job so the income was quite high so i was managed to save yeah but uh, when i was in a lab i i got to learn that if we uh, how should i say uh, somehow our status in the society uh, uh, correlates with uh, it could be our educational qualification it could be our money it could be our fame and status unfortunately that was the reality yeah, so I remember when I was there, right, I think I, I was a bit so-called bullied by one of the staff over there. Yeah, just because I said that I did very badly for my A-levels, I didn't get to university. 
yeah, but, but I, but I tahan uh, for, for this one year. Yeah, and eventually, uh, but, but I really got my seat already. Yeah, it's just that I badly needed the money. So, very interestingly, on my very last week in the company, right, uh, me and some of the colleagues, uh, we are like chatting in a, in a, like, a small canteen in our lab. So I just told them, actually, I'm going to the university. Uh. Then the person who, who so-called bullied me or insulted me, uh, suddenly changed his attitude, no? Like, like suddenly I'm somebody. I mean, why, why would you want to do that, right? I mean, when people are down, why, why do you have to like, make, make life worse for them? Yeah, so I, I think along the way, I also learned some lessons is uh, in life we have, we'll go through good times and bad times. Uh. So if other people go through bad times, like especially right now, like COVID-19, I just took a grab. I mean, he was just telling me how bad the situation was. I think we need to be humble. Uh. Yeah, because nobody will, will be on top forever. And also nobody will be at the bottom forever. Uh. So I think I took all these learning lessons after I got to university, I booked, I booked my way through. Study, work, study, work. Then after that, save some money, 2001.com bubble burst. I lost all my savings, which is about 50 plus K. Okay, so what was your inspiration behind like, um, suddenly wanting to like, oh, you know, go to go work and then after that, uh, building I, and investing. What was the uh, inspiration? Like, suddenly, oh, I gotta do that. <laughs> Right. I think it's sometimes hard for people to break out from that area. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, sometimes it, it's too variable. One, I think, is... I mean, for my case, I think it's desperation. Uh. I mean, I... Well, I quite jealous. Uh, like, like, when I was in NUS, um, I was trying to figure out, like, the next few days, uh, where do I find money to eat? Yeah, yeah to an extent. Then I need to buy the bus stamp. Last time, there wasn't easy income, mm. so it's a bus stamp. Then I got no money to buy textbook. So I had to rush to the library to go and borrow a textbook. But science library only got two reference books. So it's all these things sometimes force people to, to work hard. Eh. Yeah, because we got no choice. Eh. I mean, that applies for the same in this current th- context. Eh. Uh, I mean, the government asked a uh, driver to go and become delivery man. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure how, how they feel. Eh. I mean, if they need to take care of family, I, I'm quite sure they will do anything. So I think first thing was, uh, it's really desperation. And then the second thing also, Maybe pride. Eh? So it was a desperation and also pride. The pride is because when, uh, when, when I grew up uh, in a one-bedroom HDB flat, my, my mom, unfortunately, she has a bad, bad habit of nagging. So she always nags, say, you see, your father is a fishmonger, you see, the whole entire family being looked down by people. You must study hard, go to university, prove a point. I, I think partly also brainwashed by her. Yeah. Then after that, the desperation, right, past her... Plus the uh, nagging uh, in the early days, uh, I, I just have this feeling that I, I need to prove a point. Uh. But of course, I, I didn't know proof to who, is it proof to myself? And of course, in the, in the early days, things were, I was very naive. Uh. I, I mean, we don't talk about things like, oh, like now people always like to talk about, oh, millionaire, multi-million. No, no. It was just to make sure that we could get by with life. Uh. Yeah, I never thought that I want to make a lot of money, but I just want to prove the point that eventually I can, I can uh, survive this. Uh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sounds quite sad. Uh. No, no, it's not. It's not. Uh, I think thanks, thanks for sharing this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bit personal. Um, so tell me about the time. I think you were going on about it. You were going to go to the dot-com burst, right? Where yeah, you yeah. lost 50k, right? So what <laughs> made you, after you burned 50k, what made you still bounce back into the stock market after losing 50k? Like 50k <laughs> is a lot. Back, yeah. Right. As in, if someone lost 50k, they'll probably be like, okay, I'm not going to touch okay. it any yeah. longer yeah. so what made you decide to okay I'm going to give it a shot again. sure uh, uh, do you have time I, I mean for the audience for watching this uh, for some of them maybe 50k uh, it's not a big deal uh. 
But at that point in time, 50k was all I have, right? And 50k, I mean, sounds like it's just a number, but but I, I worked very hard not to, to save that 50k. Um, it, it was like daytime, but I have a job, like I finished work at 6, I have to rush to the tuition center at 7.30, then I have to teach, and then all the way, by the time I reach home, it'll be 12. And then uh, if I couldn't get an assignment at the tuition center, I work one-to-one, you know, like in the early days, we, it's quite popular that we teach smaller kids, uh, giving tuition. So this thing is not just like one day, one month. It's uh, it's close to ten plus years, you know. So I'm no life, man. Like. I mean, don't, don't talk about having a girlfriend, you know, or, or having a life. Every day I was just like a working machine. Uh. So in two zero one, when the dot com bubble burst, uh, I think other than losing the fifty k, I felt totally destroyed. Like like myself, as team went to zero, and then as I look back, I was thinking, oh, my goodness, all, all my years of hard work, right? Then I start to think that maybe life is a bit unfair, uh. Yeah, but but again, I mean, I cannot blame life. I mean, I, it goes back to me. But of course, more the key reason why I lose money was because I speculated, uh, believing that or, or believing that investing was just trying to get stock price. So after I lost that money, I think going back to your question, right, was was again desperation because I need um, my wedding dinner was very close, uh, so I, so I need to find money. So I got no money, right? So eventually, I had to tell my girlfriend the truth, uh, and I think I'm quite. Lucky, uh, I think one of the best things they ever had was to marry my my girlfriend. Uh, who, I mean, who is now my wife? Yeah. So so she lent me the money uh, again. Desperation. She lent me the money, so I pay off. I pay off. After I pay off, I was thinking, uh, how should I say? Uh, uh same thing, lor. Back with pride, lor. Pride. And, and this one small incident, uh, was uh, you, you know, wedding is how should I say? The friends come, everybody happy, celebrate, yum sing, all yeah. this, uh. But my mind wasn't about the wedding. My mind was what happens after. Yeah, because my bank was kosong, eh? no, no money, no money. So what happened was after our wedding, right? The the restaurant manager came. He wanted me to pay the bills, and he showed me the invoice. Yeah, so I wrote a check, eh? yeah, Right now I can tell a story because it's over it. But turning back then I cannot say. So I wrote an empty check. First time in my life, that was my first empty check, and luckily that was my last one. So I wrote an empty check. I can't remember how much is it. I pass it to the the restaurant manager of course he of course he doesn't know that inside the bank was empty oh, next day eh? not next day eh? after that at night we count the unpaid money me and my wife desperately count the money because she broke also broke count the money not enough eh? so about 1 plus am eh, can you imagine that her parents eh, allow her daughter to marry me and that 1 plus when the wedding just over right, I have to call her parents you know. but of course I didn't recall because I got no face to call eh? so my wife go and call and then when her mom pick up the phone, uh, she knows something is not right. Uh. I mean, after wedding, it should be a happy occasion. Why would you call me at one plus, right? So she called. Uh, and then uh, my mother-in-law immediately asked, uh, uh, is it because money not enough? Well, I almost cried. You know? Now I say I was almost, is it money not enough? Somehow she, she know. She know that we are going through some trouble. So so after that, my wife just told her, uh, we are short of this. Then next day morning, uh, we quickly uh, took the cash from her uh, mother-in-law. And then we quickly go to the bank. First thing, I uh, want to deposit. Uh. After that, that's how we paid the bills for the wedding. Then it's like after we get married, we're supposed to be very happy. Uh. But I put my wife into a situation and then because of my own fault. Uh, and then I also put myself in a uh, situation. I mean, this part is also the, the key reason of the so-called desperation or inspiration. Uh. Because I need to pay my wife back. I need to prove a point to my parents-in-law that when she let her daughter uh, marry me, right? I could take good care of her. Yeah. But of course, like I say, I, oh, you know, it's, oh, I want to be a millionaire. No, no, no. It, it was just, 
to make sure that we could get by. Yeah, then everything is just one step at a time. Uh. There wasn't like a million dollar dream. Uh. No, it was just to, to live. Uh. <laughs> to survive. Okay, so yeah, that, that's how I got being to. broken down so much, right? <laughs> and then to the, like what you say, desperation, right? yeah. which I really agree, like some people really need that desperation in order for them yeah, to yeah. achieve something. So if you've already been scarred by the market of 50K, yeah. what, made, what was the step, right? What was like the significant step that made you go, okay, I'm going to re-enter back into the market? Sure. There, there were two things I realized. Uh, the first thing I realized that despite the fact that I graduated the NUS, uh, actually I have two bachelor degree and one master degree. I have to acknowledge that I wasn't that smart, at least in the world of uh, investing. Because my degree are all in science, biology degree. So I know that I'm, I'm ignorant, I'm zero, uh, ground zero at investing. So I know that I need to learn f- something about investing and learn from someone. But I haven't figured out yet, but I know this is something I need to do. Then the first immediate thing was to pay bills and pay off my wife, 50k. So what I did was, my mind was quite simple, uh, just thinking maybe I should continue my two jobs. So I worked two jobs, right? A portion of that savings uh, go on to pay my wife on an installment basis. Uh. Then the a portion, right, is to pay my daily livelihood. Uh. And the last one is to figure out how to raise money. And But because, before I raise money, I need to figure out how to learn. Uh. And I think I was quite fortunate along the way. It was just by chance. Uh, it wasn't out plan. Then I met my ex-colleague. I, w- I was working as an employee and my ex-colleague. So he has this book on his table. And the title of this book is called One Up on Wall Street, written by Peter Lynch. So I was asking him, who is this fella? Yeah, then he say, oh, this guy's so famous, doing this thing, very investing. Actually, I also don't know what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah, then after, but, but already at the bottom, right? So I say, hey, I buy you lunch. La. <laughs> at least I go afford. Yeah, but, but that simple lunch or, or that curiosity, uh, I think, take a, a new detour towards uh, a better life. So sometimes in life, I think, uh, sometimes... We, we may meet some people, uh, maybe like yourself or people who are watching this video. Maybe it's just a very simple gesture, right? And then something uh, changed, you know, for the better. Yeah, okay. So what you're doing right now actually is a good thing. So I know that, you know, okay, so that significant yeah, 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 point yeah. was that very one up on yeah, <laughs> yeah. Watch you by Peter Lynch. Yeah. So then I understand that you flew all the way to Columbia University yes, yes, yes. to actually learn from value investing, which is where Warren Buffett learned as well. Yeah. Then what made you fly all the way there and pay for the cost when you had that small budget? Like, I'm just very I, I curious, know. like, how, sure. when you already got that small budget and you yeah. still fly over. Okay. I think during that time, I was uh, still slightly better. Uh, having said that, I was still quite careful with money. La. Quite careful with money. Then, you see, it's like, it's like in martial art, uh, it's being derived from Shaolin. Uh. I think all martial artists want to really go to the so-called the ancestral, ancestral roots, you know, and, and learn something from the source. So they apply the same formula. Yeah, I mean, Warren Buffett has been to Columbia University. I, I wonder how Columbia University looked like. I mean, how it feels to be there, you know, the very same place where Warren Buffett met Benjamin Graham. It's just a tiny little dream of mine. So eventually I did some research. I realized that in the entire world, there are only two universities that teaches value investing. One of them is Columbia University, where Warren Buffett met Benjamin Graham. And the other one was uh, Ivy Business School, right, from the University of Western Ontario in Canada. So I've been to both. Uh, yeah, so I went over to New York, right? Uh, the university was in New York. Uh, how should I say? Uh, it's the first time I, I flew so far to a Western country. Yeah, and I also don't know how to say. It's like, it's like my dream is to see Mickey Mouse uh, or Walt Disney. Then suddenly I see that the, the person, the real person is there. Yeah, so it's like checking off one of my dream. I mean, wh- whatever you say, whether I understand or don't understand, that's a separate thing. Uh. 
but but being there and seeing the professor and oh this is the campus uh, i feel a bit smart uh. <laughs> a bit smarter <laughs> yeah so eventually i i went over to learn uh, something the lesson was quite difficult uh. yeah so e- even until today i still want to fly to learn but unfortunately because of this covid i think i can no longer fly which is why online learning like this is is very important Okay, then share with me what were your biggest challenges when you were learning investing as a skill? Oh, the the biggest challenge is I'm not so smart. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, but uh, I, th- that's the unfortunate part. But I think the fortunate part is I acknowledge them. Yeah, when, when, I, when I was in university, JC, uh, I was really struggling with uh, uh, academics. Uh, as compared to some of my friends, I would just sit there and suddenly they like, know it all. Like for me, I also don't know what teacher is talking about. Now, number one, I acknowledge that I'm not so good, I'm a slow learner, I'm not so smart. Uh, because I acknowledge that, I, I also acknowledge that I need to find a way to sort this out if I'm not smart. So one small little belief that helped me along the way is uh, because I know I'm not very smart, if someone take one hour to learn something, right, maybe I need three hours huh? yeah, to, to make up for the not so smart. Yeah. So what I did was, uh, throughout these years, uh, I compensate my not being smart right, by working extra hard. Which is why sometimes uh, on social media I give the or some of my friends I give the impression that I work very hard. Uh. I not I work very hard partly also uh, also out of no choice uh, because I'm not I'm not very uh, fast learner. So I need to make up for it by, by working extra hard. So that I think also helped me in some ways. Uh, build more resilience, uh, build some habit that hard working is good. So in case some of our audience they feel that like they're not so smart, I mean can, we can always compensate for that. Uh. Yeah. I think the most important thing is still a good attitude uh, and you need to hang on long enough to see the results okay yeah. and i know that speaking about challenges yeah. right i know that you were three times you went through cancer three times not just two or one three yeah. times unfortunately <laughs> but fortunately also i survived uh, survived yeah. right yeah. so um walk me through like what were the biggest challenges or difficulties to you when you were going through these periods of times and you were still running a business and still yeah. investing yeah. uh oh, I, I think the I got to know my first episode of cancer, which fortunately was just stage two kidney cancer at uh, in twenty ten, uh, mid twenty ten, and because it was stage two and not stage four, right, it, the, I could resolve the problem by having my left kidney removed. So right now I've got uh, like a thirty centimeter scar from here to here. Yeah. So uh, I think the biggest challenge was more of a mental rather than a physical. Physical, of course, is painful. They give me morphine all this, but you know the body eventually will recover. Yeah, but the difficult part, the biggest challenge was accepting that I have cancer. Yeah, I, it, it, it's like it, it's like going to a clinic and the doctor say you got three more months to live. Oh, that's hard to accept. Yeah, I. Uh, it, it's easy as a third person to see. Oh, you know, please be positive. <laughs> it's easy to say, but when we are the one riding the bicycle or we are one in the position, it was very difficult. So I think the biggest challenge was mental. Uh, in which first I have to, I have to accept uh, that I really have it. Yeah, same thing for COVID nineteen. We accept that it's here. It, it may stay for a while. We will accept this. Uh. No, no matter how self, how much self denial we have, we eventually have to accept this. And how long do you take to accept? And uh, like it, it was about one week. Uh. Yeah, and we and and this like past seven eight days, I was crying every night. Uh. Yeah, daytime I I numb myself by coming to office. Uh. Yeah. So at night, night time I'll be crying. Then, then my wife will sleeping beside me. She, she will know But, but she also know that she can cannot do much. Le. So she just place a hand uh, on my shoulder, and uh, I guess that that's the best thing she can she can do. La. So it was mental. And then after a week, once I accept it, right, 
I know, hey, I mean, there's nothing much I have to accept this, which is difficult. Uh, the next phase was, okay, COVID-19 is here, I have cancer. How should I go about doing it? Then I start to be more rational. Okay, I should do this. Doctor say I should need to go for surgery. So it was a very emotional phase, uh, self-denial. Then after the acceptance, that acceptance is like very solution-oriented. Then after the solution-oriented, right, the next part is to go, go through. La. Because before that was just thinking. Yeah, going through the surgery, uh, I have no idea how, how much pain the surgery will go. And then uh, whether I will make it. But of course, uh, sh- doctor says stage 2, I should be able to make it. La. Then after that, uh, I was in hospital. Then after the hospitalization, uh, the next step is to get back to work. La. Yeah. So going back to your question, I think the key thing is the mental part. The, the non-mental part, the physical, the work part actually can be resolved once we sort out uh, our mental portion. Okay, then how about like when you relapse again, what was like your, how do you accept it? Do you like sure. immediately accept it again or? Okay. Uh, now after the first episode, I, I read a lot. I read a lot. The doctor didn't say much. Uh. The doctor was saying, you're fine, we took up this. Not only that, we, we took out an like, extra inch of fatty tissue around the tumor. There's no cells after the scan. You're okay. Yeah, but, but I insisted to the doctor that I want to see an oncologist. Uh. He said no. Leh. Then we are like ding dong with my wife. He said no. I said yes, no. But, but I'm the patient, right? So eventually I told the doctor, I said, hey, it's my body, it's my patient. I, I think I take care of my own body. So I said, if you don't mind, do me a favor. He had no choice. Uh, like, can I squeeze? Uh. So eventually I wrote a letter. I went over to NCCS. Uh. So, so every six months, I'll go over to NCCS. And every time when I go there, I see people who are worse. Eh. Yeah, I, I didn't know what it means at that point in time, but I think it, it, it gives me a sense of gratefulness. Eh. In the sense that I'm just going there for a test. But people are going there with no hair, going through chemo. And uh, there was one time when I went through a CT scan, eh, there were two old people. Me wearing this blue gown ready for a CT scan and there was these two old people. Then after that, one of the old men eh, started chatting. I mean, patient to patient, they, they know that we are all the same. Then the uncle asked me, uh, Wow, you're so young. You got cancer? I say, I have. I say, uncle, what do you have? I say, I got bone cancer. I say, my bone cancer is so bad uh, that I don't feel my legs. Uh. Wow. Then he stand up. Uh. He want to show me that he got problems standing. Then he stand up. Then he's like, whoa, because his legs are numb. Then suddenly he flapped up his, his gown. <laughs> I, saw, I saw his bottom. Uh. But when I saw the bottom, uh, I also saw the urinary back. He say because of this, uh, I could not pee, I had to wear this bag. Then after I see those people hairless, uh, and then I saw this uncle, right? I told myself, ah, wow. oh, then he, the uncle told me, um, the doctor told me you got less than one year to live. Wow, I, I mean, I cannot complain, right? Yeah, but at that time, point in time, I, I need to be mentally prepared. What if I'm like that old uncle? Now, it, it's like, I don't want it to happen. It's like, I hope that I don't want it to happen. I wish that it don't want to happen. But at the same time, at the back of my head, I need to have some mental preparation. So I wrote the will. The more administrative things I've done, uh, the more calm I become. So that I don't give trouble to my wife again. Yeah. And then after that, uh, I mean, unfortunately, I had it uh, in, in September 2014. Yeah. Then I think one week before I had my surgery, one of my ex-trainer left. Uh, and I have an event in November 2014. Mary Buffett is supposed to come. So I have to cancel. So during the surgery, I have to deal with the refund. Same thing, I felt very destroyed. But, but I mean, what to do, right? I cannot like, ignore, right? The problem is here, I need to solve it. So in the hospital, I, I was working. <laughs> Stage 4 cancer. I mean, these are things that are not seen. They only see me when, when I'm done with all this. 
Yeah, then after that, I will postpone the event to the next May. Uh, but I think the during this whole journey, I, I was quite supported with some of my graduates. Uh. The event didn't, it didn't, I didn't do very well. I target 550, but I think 250 came. Uh, I have 250 bento box, which is a waste, so we assigned it to Ofo. So I, I didn't do well. In fact, I did very badly. Yeah. Yeah. Then uh, I sort of get back to my feet uh, somewhere in 2015. Uh. Yeah, things were slightly better. Then the third episode came. Uh. Yeah, but, but every time when the cancer came, right, I'm more uh, prepared to take it. Uh. I, I don't like it. I don't like the feeling. But I'm more calm I'm more, as compared to the first one. The first one was like, wow. It was like world collapse. Uh. But, but I'm quite calm. And and after my third episode, which is just February last year, uh, every time I'm I'm always mentally prepared, even until today. So my investment account, I'll join all join account, and oh yeah, and the uh, last February, right? Uh, I only got a few staff. I only got three staff. So I got one manager who is a very good friend of mine. So before I go for my surgery, like the third surgery, I I wrote some instruction. Eh. She she didn't know what I wrote. So I wrote instruction. I I wrote uh, three checks because even time I only got three staff. Yeah, but, but, but now I can review the content. Uh. It, it's I wrote the check, uh, I wrote the letter is to tell her in case I didn't make it for the surgery, right? I asked her, I give her specific instruction how she can close the company. And the check was a compensation uh, because, because they want to find another job. Yeah, so they need the money to tie over that period before they can find a job. So the, my staff are my responsibility. I got more responsibility. Yeah, and then my, of course, my wife and my two girls are my responsibility. And then my graduates like yourself also my responsibility because I'm accountable to them. I promise them. Right? So yeah. how was it like like dealing with cancer then plus like with your family? Like do you open it up to your I know you got two daughters, right? right do you right. open it up to them and how my daughters are uh, they I, I don't think they understand uh, uh, at the point in time where I had it. So what I did was my very first step was I give them a copy of my book. Which is a book. <laughs> the book only time I give you a copy. <laughs> Now I give you two copies, I tell them you must read, you know, your father asks you to read, then they say yeah, yeah. But I'm quite sure that if they read, maybe they don't get it. Lah. Yeah, but my elder girl right now, she's primary six, she, she grows up, I think she sort of understand. So I have to slowly tell her that um, cancer can be a deadly cancer. Lah. Yeah, and uh, uh, I must be healthy. Lah. Yeah, so then I told her, if one day I'm not around, then you need to take care of your mom. Lah. Yeah, but, but, but she also feel quite sad, but I, how should I say, I, I need to put it in such a way that it's not so sad. And, but yet she learned something. Yeah, so, so everything is all emotional. Yeah, the challenge are all emotional challenge. Yeah, I realize it's like, it's so tough. Like, <laughs> I, can't <laughs> it's even, quite I can't even imagine being in the place where you yeah. have to do this three times, thinking of whether your company is closing, yeah, thinking yeah, about yeah. how or what your last words to your family and yeah. what you're gonna how, how it's gonna be after that so after like having so many like near sort of death experience sure, right sure. what were like your biggest learning experiences out of this whole stretch oh my, my biggest learning is is time uh, is time uh, in my early 20s when when I like struggle with money I was thinking one day I need to be very successful one day I need to be very famous something like that you know yeah then after all these years, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm turning 49 this year, uh, after all these years. After all these years, I went through cancer three times. I, I see all those people around me, like one of my good friends who is young, few years younger than me, he passed away. I mean, he got stage four cancer, he got stage four sarcoma. I was there in the hospital and I was there at his funeral. 
he's supposed to meet me for lunch but he missed the appointment so how should I say uh, uh, sometimes I ask myself how come he died and I, and I leave yeah yeah I mean there must be some reason why I'm a, I'm a free thinker but, but, but there's be some reason why I leave uh. yeah so, so right now I'm giving extra time I do not know how, how long will I have my fourth one I'm not sure but I know as of today I go today's time tomorrow I go tomorrow's time so I need to make use of this time to do something meaningful yeah and those meaningful things uh, as much as I can I want to do as much charity work as possible and it was also by chance that National Cancer Centre of Singapore asked me to become the ambassador I say please tell me what you want me to do yeah as long as I have time I'm not travelling uh, I'll do anything yeah so, so I was lucky to become the ambassador so I frequently talk about cancer law, so I'm very open about this yeah, so something meaningful uh, in terms of charity, something meaningful in terms of my work. So I don't want to do things that I don't like. Uh. No point. Uh. Then the next one, ideally, I also want to hang out with people that I I feel comfortable enjoying. Uh. Like I no need, I no need you to come and backstab me. I no need this kind of things uh, at, at, at this point of my life. Yeah. So I just want to have a peaceful, positive environment. Uh, I think I'm quite happy. Uh. Yeah. Okay, so... Uh Pointing back to your book of sure, hope, sure, right? book of how important was it for you to have this thing called hope when you are doing when doing like your cancer relapse? Oh, uh, I mean, my my small perspective is, uh, I have one graduate, right? Okay, I don't want to mention her name. She's uh, fifty plus, uh, fifty plus. She was my value investing graduate, and then one day she appeared inside my class uh, for NLP. She said she want to join my NLP class. Then I say, what happened to you? How come you, you shrivel, you know? And and she looked like she's just like bone, having just bone and skin, eh. a bit of flesh, and that's about it. I say, what happened to you? In my heart, I, I, I suspect she got cancer. And then she told, oh, I just went through cancer, but I'm okay. Wow, then I was quite happy for her. Then unfortunately, because my course lasts about three months, during uh, that time she has a relapse. Uh, yeah. So back to your question about this hope, right? It's after she had relapsed, uh, suddenly during one of the breaks, she said, Kaden, I've enough. Uh. I don't want to go through that treatment, chemo. Uh, I think I've enough. Wow, I must not tell you, I'm so going to cry. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know specifically what she's thinking, but I suspect maybe she, she either lose hope, or maybe she's still at hope, but she just want to go. Uh. Maybe that will make her life a bit, a bit better. Um, and then she has three kids. Um, she lost two of her child. So I'm not very sure. Maybe she wants to join the two kids. So I'm not very sure. Sorry. Uh, so I think in life, I think... Um, Look okay, at your yeah. time. So I think in life we we will still go through some difficult times, uh, whatever that is. I think hope is important. Uh, so different way, different people have different way of finding hope. Uh. Some some people go to spiritual, uh, they may go to a temple, church, or whatever, which I think is important. Uh, so that they they get some assurance, they get some hope. Some some of the people may get some hope from science from families, from whatever. So, uh, so in simple terms, I think uh, it's important for us to have hope and see and just imagine that this thing eventually will come to pass. This will be over. 
Yeah. Like, like this COVID-19, no, we have to assume that one day it will come to pass. Uh. And what was your biggest hope back then when you had this relapse of cancer? Biggest hope? Uh. I, have a, I have a reframe. Uh. My, my reframe was just uh, telling myself that if one day I live through this cancer, uh, uh, I want to tell a story. Yeah. So 2014, September, after I survived the stage 4 cancer, I need to keep to my own promise, uh, which is to tell a story. So now the question is how to tell a story, like, like how should I tell, right? Then I was thinking, maybe I should write a book. Yeah, so, so that's how the book came about. Yeah, and, and I, like I say, I wasn't very ac- academically uh, very smart, so I write, you know, I had to search for an editor because my armor not very good. Uh. Yeah, but I think nine months I got the book out. And I think I'm quite blessed. Uh. So in the, in the sense that once the book was out, I, I told some of my friends, say, hey, I want to do this for charity, but I don't know what to do. Then also very strange one. Then I met the CEO of uh, Singapore Cop Blood Bank. She say, hey, our organization nobody know. Since you want to do charity, why do you do it for us? Social media, you got your your graduates. I say, why not? Then we do it. Yeah, so so strange. Uh, when, when you have a very good purpose, uh, uh, you attract a certain group of people who say, Kita, I, I won't want to support your cause. But in the early days, I don't understand this. Uh. Speaking about purpose, right? Yeah. What do you think was the purpose that kept you going and on and on? You talk about reframe, you talk about sure. uh, pulling through, right? There must be a purpose, like what you say, that's driving you through. The purpose is I want to... I mean, if I want to be very specific, I want to help those uh, can- cancer patients who are going through bad times. Uh. Yeah. Some of the bad times may be uh, emotional bad times. Some, it could be monetary. Yeah, but... But setting out a, a fund is quite complicated. Uh. So my, my way of doing is to donate money to NCCS. Uh. So that's the money part. And then the emotional part is any events that they want. So I support through them. They are very experienced. Uh. So I become their, their labor and I'm okay. So my purpose is, is uh, for cancer patient. Yeah. Okay. And I was searching up and I came across this Street Life interview where the interviewer asked you a question of Okay, I can't remember what's the exact question, but I can remember you said the answer of I want to be useful and that's why I kept going. So what was the meaning to you of being useful? Uh, okay. Uh, okay. So let's say in the context of work, I think, I think being useful is I, I serve our graduates. Like I told them lifetime and all this. Yeah. So... Then uh, it's also to support my staff. Uh, because in the early days, I only got three staff. Now, now I've got more staff. I mean, of all the companies they want to join, why join my small company? Right? So when they join, I think I have a responsibility other than my family to take good care of them. Yeah, so, so being useful to them, being useful to my graduates. So that's in the context of work. Um, in, in a family, I think being useful is uh, I need to be a, a good husband, uh, play the role of husband. And being useful as a father uh, to my two little girls. So that's the context of family. Then outside this work and family, I think it's my pursuit for charity. Yeah, that's why I told the senior manager at the NCCS, right? I say, I say tell me what you need. I want to make myself useful. But of course, during this journey, I didn't like think too much about the word useful until some sometimes people ask me. I just know that I need to do something. Yeah, and and I think one year ago. There was one graduate who asked me, I can't remember exactly what he asked me, so, something along this line. Then I cracked a joke, uh, which wasn't very funny. So I say, uh, my, my value investing program, uh, my class is, is, always, is usually full, usually full. 
I say maybe one day uh, during my funeral, right, it will also be a full house. Yeah. So 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 if uh, during my funeral it's full house, uh, I think I've been useful. <laughs> Not funny, yeah, but yeah. And I'm quite sure you have probably since you mentioned it, I'm quite sure you probably mentioned about uh, I probably not mentioned, but you probably imagined about if your funeral was like, yeah. what would the people be saying? So what would what do you think your angle would be of what would people say about you? I never thought about that question. <laughs> but 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 I, I hope like I wish uh, I wish uh, that they would say that I have uh helped them in some ways. So. Yeah. Uh, that, that that is for my 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 participants uh. but I think my friends would be I hope they will say like uh, I've been there for them uh, during the difficult times um, but but most importantly I think it's for my family uh. I mean uh, I hope my wife would say I've been a good husband and my girls that said that I, I'm, I've been a good father uh, even though my time with them was short uh. I hope they say I, I did my best uh. Yeah. Okay, and before I ask my last question, <laughs> before I ask my last question, uh, where where can these people connect with you or find more about you or learn from you? Oh, learn from me. Uh? Um, <laughs> okay, so so actually, I I've written uh uh this book. I did this is my fourth book, right? And this is my first book. Uh. Yeah, do you have what it takes to be boss? This one was published. I also don't know when, but but all the Many money was ago. given to the Straits Times School Pocket Money Fund. Yep. Yeah, this is something that I'm very proud of. Uh, this was my second book. All the Money was donated to National Cancer Center, and a portion went to the Singapore Cop Blood Bank. And this one goes to uh, the Japan. Children yeah. Cancer Association of Japan. So actually, these three books uh, took me a combination of maybe five years in total. I never made a single cent. Um, uh, this book is my fourth book. Uh. I, I hope that if I could uh, get some business out of it, I could, I could do more good. Uh. Yeah. So if they want to connect to me, what they can do is there are a few ways. Number one is they can go to my fan page. Uh which is www.facebook.com slash kdenchang.via okay <laughs> sorry a bit long so kdenchang.via so that's one way they can send me a message and so, so on but uh, if let's say they don't mind they can also uh, visit this website which is valueinvestingsimplifiedbook.com okay yeah okay. so a small little charity a small little charity is they can actually get this book for free la but they just help me pay for the delivery so that I give you the book for free and then help me pay for the delivery and we deliver to anywhere on the planet okay yeah. great so these are the four things they can connect with me okay so my que last question yeah. is what is the meaning of legacy to you and what is the legacy you want to live in this world uh, I think the only legacy so called uh, to be left right one day I've gone is uh, if one day some people ask a, 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 uh, do you know who is Kaden uh, Chang? I, I hope people who know me will say, Oh, yeah, I know about him. He's so, so, and so, and I miss him. Yeah. So if they say I've done something good and then they say they miss me, I think that's my legacy. <laughs> okay, great. Okay, so um, if I could spend the whole day with this guy, I would be asking <laughs> him a ton <laughs> of questions. Yeah, you can see this is probably one of the most uh, emotional uh, episodes that I ever <laughs> have, that I'll probably have. Um, so I think really the biggest takeaway I can get from him is probably the lesson of really having a purpose and really knowing what you are going for, right? And I'm quite sure that that's why he wrote the Book of Hope as well. So 
Thanks for streaming <laughs> in this podcast, and we'll see you in the next one. Okay, goodbye. <laughs>